We are in the book of Titus. Uh, In case you are new with us today, we seek to preach um, verse by verse through different books of the Bible. So I have been for a while now in the pastoral epistles. And uh, we've gone through 1 Timothy. We're going chronologically. So we are in the book of Titus and we're coming down the home stretch in the book of Titus. Um, And uh, then the Lord willing, after that, we'll go to 2 Timothy and um, learn the things that we need to learn about how to be what God wants us to be. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. One verse. Uh, as I looked at the, uh, the ending, all that, that Paul has been instructing Titus about and the culture in which they were planted, uh, I thought, we're, we're going to, to do this. Actually, it's in three parts, but we're going to look at this first verse in this last section, chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, We'll come back, we'll do a little bit of review, and this will be kind of a catching up for those of you who haven't been with us uh, up to this point. But Paul says something very, very important here as he does in all of the Scripture. And uh, so let's read this together, follow along as I read chapter 3, and I'll just read verse 8. We'll come back and read another couple of verses in just a few minutes. The saying is trustworthy. The word is faithful, in other words. And I want you, Titus, he's addressing Titus as the preacher now, I want you to insist on these things, things that he's already mentioned, so that, there's a purpose involved, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Oh God, how we cry out to you as we have been doing through our time of worship this morning in hearing a testimony of the faithfulness that you have toward your people and hearing from Todd and Pamela, being able to pray with them, join with them in the mission and the ministry to which you've called them, to read the Word, to hear the Word sung, to be singing the Word. Now, Lord, to hear the Word proclaimed and then to respond to it. I pray that you would give us hearing ears and open hearts. This Word is for us today so that we would take it in and make it truly ours and be those who are very, very careful to be devoted day by day, 24-7, minute by minute, to the ministry of good works. And so I thank you for that and pray that you would bless us now, even as you have already, to hear your word and again to respond to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I think one of the things that you have to, to realize in case you haven't been with us and even if you have, to remind ourselves of the culture in which I had written down the first church. I don't know if it was First Baptist Church or First Congregational Church. It was the first church in Crete. And, and to think about the culture in which they were planted, I think it's important for us to look at that, to have an idea of that, and to remember that these words have an impact 
for us today. And so let's go back and remind ourselves of the culture in which these people were living and out of which this exhortation grew. Two verses that I've picked here. One, it goes back to the first chapter of Titus, a description of the, the, the culture at Crete. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. Now, even you look around on the landscape today, the political landscape and all the rest, it would be difficult to say that everybody's a liar. I know you feel like that sometimes. But according to one of their own prophets who said of themselves, all Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then we go to another a piece of scripture, that where Paul addresses the church at Philippi, and, and it's kind of a parallel to the exhortation that he's giving today, be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of, look at this, a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. What kind of a culture are we planted in? You know, I think sometimes we look around, we get the idea. I see it all the time. I get emails in my inbox. I'll get mail-outs. I'll, I'll get advertisements for new movies or, or maybe a book that's out now. Uh, one that I saw recently was entitled Letter to the American Church, and it's a, it, it's a picture of the, the cultural mess that we are in today. I read another one, Preaching Christ or Living the Faith in a Post-Christian World, as if that's something different. Another book, and I'm reading this now, and it is a good book, but the title, again, gives it away, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And so, I, I want you to feel the weight of this, that what we are living in today, and all we, all we really know, most of us in this room, except for a few who serve overseas or go overseas from time to time, all you've got is this little slice of the world called America. But you and I really need to look back. We need to go back into antiquity and ask ourselves about this, this stuff of being a post-Christian world or an anti-Christian age. Is there really any other kind? Paul was writing to a church who lived in that kind of age. And I have thought long and hard about this that we simply are living in the same kind of age that every culture since the garden, when God looked at all that He had made and He said, this is very good, not just good, but this is very good. And right after that, the fall of man into sin, when everything that was very good became very bad and corrupt, and from that moment on, every culture. Do you know what the first city was? It was the city of Enoch. That's where Cain went. 
It was a little bit east of Eden. I, you know, we, we don't, everything was covered by the flood, so we really can't go to that place. But, but he went and he built a city and he named it after his son, Enoch. There was another Enoch later on that was to come. But from that moment on, every culture has been decidedly anti-God and anti-Christian. You move forward a little bit. It's some generations away. It's only five chapters, four or five chapters. You come to Genesis chapter 6, and you see there that when God looked out on what had happened and the mess of the culture, do you remember what it says? I'm, I'm always struck. I went back and read it. But Genesis 6-5 is an interesting read because of the adjectives that are used. Every, every intent of the people, it says every intent of their heart, was only evil always. And that's pretty bad. So if God can do a work back then, now you've you got to remember uh, sometimes also, I'm not saying that that's what he's going to do today, but a lot of times we hear things about restoring the culture and recovering and things like that. Um, when we look at how God dealt with the culture, except for a few of his chosen, his elect, namely Noah and his family, um, he brought judgment on that culture. Even though Noah preached, 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 and he preached the gospel to them. So the question is, as we look at this, is where do you live? You live in a culture, and we, 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 we will. Our children are being raised in a culture like this. And the second thing is, how are we to live where we live? Now, the next several verses, it, it, it talks about that. And so, let me give you an outline. I told you I would read several of the verses after this. We read verse 8 a minute ago. And, and so, if, if you want to put a little, if, if you write in your Bible, I don't suggest you do that on your smartphone, but if you want to put it in the notes, here's a breakdown of where we're going for the next couple of weeks. And, and it is just what Paul has been talking about all along. Verse 8, he, he, he is telling, we just read that, he's telling us a way to live. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, how are we to live? We are to devote ourselves. Let me put this personally. You are to devote yourself to good works. No age limit, no age requirement. You are to devote yourself to good works. But then in verse 9, he says something else. Listen to it. He says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, isn't that interesting that he said, if you devote yourself to good works, it's profitable. But here he gives a second thing, not only verse 8, something to live for, but he gives us something to avoid. We're going to talk about this next week. And th there's a lot there. When he tells us something to avoid. You know why? Because these things, he says, they are not profitable. They do not, as he said earlier, they do not adorn the doctrine of God. They deform the doctrine of God. 
They make, the, they make it difficult for the gospel to go forward. They make it difficult for the witness of the church. And then in verses 9, uh, excuse me, 10 and 11, not only is he giving us something to live, some way to live in verse 8, something to avoid in verse 9, but he gives us someone to reject. Imagine that. And he says it in verses 10 and 11. As for the purpose who stirs up divisions after warning him once and then twice, this is a picture of church discipline, my friends, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So we have a way to live, devoted to good works. We have something to avoid, foolish controversies that are not profitable, and then we have people that we need to, listen to me, reject, divisive people and their divisive heresies because the Bible says they are self-condemned. So with that as an outline and an introduction, let's look at the, the outline that you have in front of you on your worship guide, and let's walk through this phrase by phrase. The saying is trustworthy. Now, this phrase is used several times, and basically what Paul is saying here is stop and think. The word is faithful. What word? Everything that he's already said in Titus chapter 1 or chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he's referring back to that, but he's going further back. And let's go back even to the, 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 the epistle, the letter to 1 Timothy 1.15, where he uses the same phrase. Here's the trustworthy word. You can take it to the bank. It's deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so let me say it again. God is not, listen to me, God is not primarily in the business of reforming cultures. He is primarily in the business of of saving sinners. Now, will cultures sometimes be impacted by those who are saved? Just look back through history. William Wilberforce is one good example. Absolutely, they will. But what he says here that is the trustworthy word is that he is, listen, he is rescuing his elect from a very broken world. And he is expecting, this is a trustworthy word, he is expecting us to begin to understand what it means to be saved in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Don't you wish sometimes you could just pull out and, and go to some place where your kids would not be around some of the influences that they are, you're not going to be able to shelter them from everything as much as we would hope to. And so what we look for is the salvation of God's elect out of the midst of a crooked and perverse generation Paul was looking for it there on the island of Crete, and he's looking for it here in the city of Oklahoma City. The word is true. Let me just let you in 
on another, I think, an application of this. We're in an election year. Oh, my. It's already started. I mean, and, and I, I think you know I have particular leanings that would be considered at least culturally conservative. That, that really doesn't get at it. I've encouraged you to be good Christian citizens, even knowing that God is not about the business of redeeming cultures, but as a good Christian citizen, we, we have a right that many countries don't have. I believe that for myself, I ought to exercise that right and vote for people who most closely have a platform that agrees with the revelation of God's Word. We're not going to get there with any particular candidate. But even with that, you know what what I'm encouraged by? And I'm going to come back to this principle again and again and again. God will use whoever wins the election as he is using leaders right now. Today it may not seem like it. These people are instruments in the hands of God to accomplish His purposes. And I can steal myself, my soul with that, and so can you, that God is sovereign over every detail of life. Thursday morning. I had written the devotional, my devotional, that I've been doing for a while now to my grandkids and my kids. And it was early in the morning, and I went to text it, and I pushed the button, and it said, text failed. Oh, there's something wrong with my phone, and I went to check the settings, and Yeah, the router was up and all the rest of that. And I went, it wasn't going through. My heart began to pound. You know, I really, I hear hear stuff. It may not be every day, but it it is common enough from politicians. If you only knew what was going on, behind the scenes. It would scare you to death. I've heard things about the whole grid going down. Have you, am I the only one that hears stuff like that? The whole, and so Thursday morning when my text didn't go through, I wondered, is the grid going down? Do I need to wake up Jan and we need to fill our bathtub with water? You know, and because there's, well, Y2K, how many of you Okay, yeah, you filled your buckets with, yeah. The grid's going down. Now, I'm not minimizing the pain and the the, the suffering of your text not going through. Okay, finally it did about half a day later. But let me tell you this, and we had a little blip a couple of weeks ago that most of you are aware of with Jan and the electrical system in her heart malfunctioning. People have said, how are you? How's she? They've said, and sometimes I'll say, how are you really? 
Folks, whether it is the electrical circuits at AT AT&T or two weeks ago with Jan's heart, I am as confident in those things as I am on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified by the hands of wicked men that God uses even those kinds of people to accomplish his sovereign purposes. He's done it in the past, and the saying is trustworthy that he'll do it until the Lord Jesus comes back. So growing out of that, if you're confident of that, I'm going to come back to that just as a reminder. We need it. We need it. Let's move on to the next phrase. I want you, Titus, you got to preach this, Titus. I want you to insist. This word is strong. It's an intensive. He said, Titus, don't just get up there and talk. Get up there and insist. Do everything within your power. Trust the word that you're preaching that I'm giving you in this letter. Trust the Holy Spirit, but insist on these things. What things? We've seen it before. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It's got, it's got to line up. That's what he's talking about. And then jump down to verse 14 because I find in that a, a great picture, a, a great summation of what we're all about with that sound doctrine, our great God and Savior who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are, what? And how many times is salvation preached without the follow-up of being zealous for good works? It always, always goes together. And Titus, you insist on it. Almost 2,000 years later, Marty Brown, you insist on it. And preach what accords with sound doctrine. And I love this. He, he, he did it back in chapter 2 with two groups of people who were there. Older men. Older women. Those were the first two groups, groups that he talked about. We'll come to the end of that and, and we'll look more specifically at this. But he said, remind them, Titus, remind them of their responsibilities. And so he, he pulls out. He pulls out the only two groups, really, in the church and in culture. You do understand that, don't you? Two groups. Well, actually, two groups in two seasons. Old men, old women. Young men, young women. Those are the seasons of life. But those are the groupings of people to whom he refers. So we've, we've got basically, did I say two? I meant four. The four groupings of people in the church today. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but there are those among you today that are old men. And you know who you are. And Paul's going to come back in just a minute and he's going to say, you know what? You old men, you need to be zealous for good works. And I'm going to specifically tell you what that looks like so you can begin to apply it today when you get in the car, the way you talk to your wife. When you get home, I'm going to talk to the old women. I'm for sure not going to ask you in this group who's an old woman. 
And then he addresses the younger men and the younger women. Those It's groups with the seasons of life. You're either a man or a woman. Why would I even stop and say something like that? Because our culture is twisted. Crooked and perverse, that's what it means. It's, there is a twisting. Last year in 2023, according to the, I don't know if it's a council, it's some kind of group, sexualdiversity.org, There are not two binary identity with the seasons of life, men and women. There are 107 different identities. As a preacher, I have a difficult time enough trying to apply it to men and women in the different seasons. I cannot even imagine what it would be like for preachers who hold that kind of view to have to speak to 107 different... And I, I went to the website. I hope, oh, Lord, I hope nobody's monitoring. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're all the robots and stuff. I'm going to start getting stuff in my, in, my inbox. I, I, I'm, am, I'm amazed that people identify themselves as... Well, I, no, I, I just won't even go. It's just... Here is what he is saying. Guys, break it down and teach what is according with sound doctrine. Remind them. Now, it's interesting. when we, We're in chapter 3, so let's see what he says at, at the first. Well, let, let's, let's back up in your Bible. Let me get you to do that before we look at this next verse. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he said, remind them of. To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work. Kind of echoes what he's talking about here. And so let me just say it like this. I, just to summarize this particular point, I want you to insist on these things. The best thing you as a Christian can do for your own spiritual health, for the health of your marriage, those of you who are married, for the health of your family, for the health of your church, for the health of your nation, is to grow in godliness and to disciple others. And the curriculum we ought to use is the grace of God, as we'll see in just a few moments. Let's move on to the third point. So he says, I want you, Titus, to insist on these things, okay? The sound doctrine and what accords with sound doctrine, which is the lived out lifestyle, so that those who have believed, and this We were listening this morning to, to Todd talk about him being a, a guy that, that helps in the translation of languages so that people can have the Bible in their, their, their heart language. And Todd, with you, I, I love to break down words. Uh, this may sound weird. I love to diagram sentences. That's weird. I just, I love to. You don't have to agree. But that, that's, that, it's just, and so when you look at this, so that those who have believed, now this is a, a, a word that is so powerful in the picture of it. It's a perfect active participle that's plural. 
That means at a point, listen, and if you have not done this, maybe today is that point in time. If you are in Christ, that's because at a point in time, you believed. God gave you the gifts of repentance and faith. And you believed at a point in time. It wasn't through the process of osmosis because you grew up in a Christian family, so-called, and you came to church every Sunday. At a point in time, you believed, but that perfect tense means it has continuing results that will continue the rest of your life. And it's in the active. It means that it happens, and it's happening all the time. And by the way, it's a plural, which doesn't mean just you. What does it mean if you're from Oklahoma? It means y'all. It's for everybody. Students sitting over here and students distributed out, younger people. It's, it's for everybody. It's no special class, no special age. It's not for super saints. All believers can do good works. In fact, let me say this, only believers can do good works. And they said to him, crowd around Jesus, Man, what do we got to do to do good work? What do we have to do to do the works of God? And Jesus just simply said, there's a starting place. There is a starting place, guys. You believe in him. But guess what? You don't just believe in him, and then you go off to live in any way that you want to or that the world says. You keep on believing. You keep on parking your trust and faith in him. You keep on saying on days when it's hard, when you have a blip, you know, really, people have asked how we were. Folks, compared to some of what you guys have been through, it was a blip. But you will have blips, and you will have things that absolutely devastate you. You'll go through incredible loss. And that's why those who have believed and are continuing to bank on Jesus Christ to put our full weight in Him. I have quoted this on several occasions. And I'm going to quote it again because it is such, a, it's such an anchor for me. And I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't even hardly, I knew it was there historically, but the, the Heidelberg Catechism, and somebody gave me a little copy. I've got it on my phone in digital form, and, and the, it's, it's, just, it's just the Word of God arranged so beautifully. And unlike some of the other confessions and catechisms, I love how, the, I love how it starts out. Because it's talking about how do you deal with the blips and the explosions in life. How do you do that? What is your only hope in life? What is your only hope in death? Well, here it is. That's the question. Day one in the catechism. Just listen to it as I read it. That I am not my own. 
That's where you start. But I belong body and soul in life and in death. Do you know that? Do you have that belief? We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for my sins with His precious blood. We'll celebrate that in a few moments. And has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. What a horrible thing it is to be under the tyranny of the devil. He set us free. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair from a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And because, here it is right here. What's the outcome? Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And that's the sovereignty of God in action, whether it's a blip or a major upheaval. And how did we first believe? Oh, again, let me just say it to you. By grace, through faith, you see it all around us. We, we affirm the solas of the of the Reformation, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to the Scriptures alone. That He came and He paid a debt that He didn't know. Why? Because I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. And I needed someone to wash my sins away, as the song says. And that's why now I can sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace because he paid the debt that I could never pay. But there's more. Don't you love those commercials? When they... But there's, there is more. We didn't just get our debt erased. We got the righteousness of Christ. Double imputation. Oh, wow. And it was free for us. I had to laugh this last, really, I want to get political on you now, okay? I had to laugh this last week. Student, debt, forgiven. That's a lie. Somebody is paying for that debt, either the banks or guess who? not free. Well, it's free to the person who receives it. So by an executive, executive declaration, those debts are wiped out. And I thought to myself, well, that may not be a great example, but it is an example. By executive declaration, because of Christ's death on Calvary's cross, our debt is paid. It did cost what did it cost? The broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ. So out of that, what will those who are blood-bought, born-again, believing Christians do? They must be careful to devote themselves. How do you know you've believed in the past? Because you're living it in the future, and you're living it in the now. 
Quite frankly, if it, you, people ask me this all the time. I've got a loved one. They prayed a prayer. They walked an aisle. Whatever. The, it was a, an event-centered salvation, at least they thought. Haven't darkened the door of a church. And all, I, I, I can't look at their heart and judge. But biblically, I'm going to tell you this. They have no biblical assurance that they are in Christ. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And, and so that's our biblical assurance. The old bent, um, the old identities are gone. They're dead. The new bent has come. And what is that new bent? Here it is, the last phrase, to do good works. To do good works, and these works are excellent and they're profitable for people. Now, let me just say a couple of things. You know this to be true, but they need to be said. Our good works do not earn our approval savingly before God. They are the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. But there is no such thing as a believer who does not seek to Honor the Lord through the doing of good works. All of those, you're saying, what? No, there's no such thing. Now, you might slip, in a, but you won't be happy there. You'll be desiring of doing those works that grow out of salvation, not for salvation. I, again, let me say this. All those who hold God's law in contempt who hold the honor of his name in contempt. They may be saved and, and may be just sliding away for a season, but they have no biblical basis to believe that they are saved. And they need to go to God and do some business with God. Now, here's what we don't want to do by saying that we're saved to do good works. We never want to guilt or manipulate people to do good works. Okay? D are you understanding that? It's very important because of what I just said. So parents, don't do this. Don't, don't guilt your children when they don't obey and maybe they're in a season. Don't guilt them and say, well, you're not saved. You, you don't know. See, the good works is, is not a guilt or a manipulation to do good works. We don't do that. Don't also try to figure out it says that these things are excellent and profitable for people. So, don't try to figure out how something you do today that is a good work is going to benefit somebody else. Just do it and let God take care of that. Don't get caught up in issues that will hinder you. We'll talk more about that next week. Hinder you from good works. And don't worry uh, that you might slide into depending on good works for your salvation. Just do them. And if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit will convict you if you're being self-righteous. Trust Him that He will do that. And then what do you do if He convicts you that you're being self-righteous? You've done a good work. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. I thank God that I'm not like... What do you do if the Holy Spirit convicts you that you're being self-righteous. You repent. 
you repent and thank God for the salvation that you have. You know, at the end of the day, no matter what I've done, the blood of Jesus is all that I can plead. And that's all that you can plead as well. So what are these good works? I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to go back and review this. I talked about old men, old women. Here it is. I, I went through in my study all these lists of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and certain lists of good works you can do. But I think Paul gave Titus some very practical advice in chapter 2 of Titus. Old men, here's what you can do. Let's go back there. Look at it. Old men, be sober-minded. All right, that's a good work. Be dignified. Oh, I looked at that and I thought, Lord, I hope that doesn't exclude me telling corny granddad jokes. I hope I can still be dignified and do that. Well, pray for me about that. I love this word. You know, self-controlled is used three times, and it's implied in, four, in all four of these. That is, that is a, that's a neat word, self-controlled. That is a word that basically means you're, you're, the way you think. It's a worldview kind of think. It, it means to think biblically in every relationship of, of life. It means that you have the mind of Christ. That, that word says it right there. It solves all of your problems in your relationships in life. Just try that for today. Sound in faith, in love, and, in, and, and steadfastness. Now, old women, older, I'll use the words there. Likewise, so everything that, that it was said for the, the older men or for the older women, in addition to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now, it goes on, and I think really this, this says it specifically for, for older women, but for everyone, godliness and discipleship, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be, here it is again, self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God will not be reviled. Younger men are to be what? Are you with me? There it is again, self-controlled. Have that, young men have, the, have, a, have a biblical worldview. See things through the grid of the mind of Christ. In all of your relationships and everything that you do. By the way, you better be spirit-filled when you're doing this. You can't do it in the power of the flesh. And then younger women said, love that. Well, we just read that. And then it goes down to slaves. On the, in the workplace, be submissive to your masters. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So then everything they may adorn the doctrine of, our, of God, our Savior. So that's what we're supposed to do. What's our curriculum? Everybody wants to know, what, what are you going to use for a curriculum? Here it is, the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't just forgive us and forget us. The grace of God trains us in godly living. Grace saves and grace trains.